Timothy and can be found on page 1195 of the Bibles in front of you. So that's 2 Timothy on page 1195, um, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Lucy. Shall we begin with a prayer? We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have given us such great news to pass on. Thank you for the way in which you've changed our lives by this good news. And we pray that we would be faithful in doing what you call us to do, even though we'll be tempted to be ashamed at times. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, as Charles was saying, um, this morning we had the uh, wonderful baptism of Hepzibah Simpson, who um, was very cute, and it was a great occasion. And uh, there, there must have been, I don't know, David and Olivia seemed to invite everyone on their you know, Facebook friend. It was a big event, and there were lots of people here. And I thought, I thought to myself, I didn't actually like to say it to Hepzibah, but I felt like saying, Hepzibah, you, you won't have it this good again until you get married, probably. Um, so many people rooting for you. And when Charles asked that question <clears throat> of the congregation, you know, will you support um, Hepzibah in her faith? And we all reply, with the help of God, we will. Normally, Charles sort of has to exhort us to say it again a couple of times. But the first time was such a kind of... Um, we will, that uh, with the help of God, that uh, it didn't need any second encouragement. Um, and I was struck as, uh, as we had this baptism, 
with the kind of links between the baptism and the sermon, which is on this passage in in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, In some ways, such a contrast. There's Hephzibah surrounded by a hundred of her family and friends and uh, everyone rooting for her. And there, on the other hand, is Paul writing this letter to Timothy, uh, beaten up, in prison, alone. If you flip over the page to chapter 4, verse 16, he says, At my first defense, no one came to support, to my support, but everyone deserted me. Uh, feeling very alone and isolated. What a contrast. And yet, in some ways, I thought there's actually a striking similarity, too, Uh, Because the very first thing that happens after someone is baptized, and you may remember it's about about a year ago, I think, Lucy was baptized with Ben and um, Sophie here in this pool here. The very first thing that happens after a baptism is that we sign the newly baptized with the sign of the cross. And we say to them, do not be ashamed to confess the faith of Christ crucified. And the whole congregation again, encourages them, exhorts them, fight valiantly under the banner of Christ against sin, the world, and the devil, and continue his faithful soldier and servant to the end of your life. And it seemed to me um, that this was just a, a very striking thing, that here Paul is saying, do not be ashamed to confess the faith of Christ crucified. We're saying it to, to Hepzibah this morning. Paul was saying it to to Timothy from his prison cell. And it's such an important challenge to stand firm. It doesn't matter whether you're a baby being baptized, whether you remember the evening service congregation here on the first Sunday of 2015, or whether you're in jail for your faith, we all need to have that courage to stand firm for Jesus Christ. And if we're honest, I think we know that all of us face this very real temptation not to stand firm, or at least to go low profile, to be ashamed, to keep our heads down. And I think this little letter of Timothy to Paul um, is such an encouragement. Um, Here is Paul writing from prison. It's in the middle of the Neronian persecution, AD 67. Uh, He knows in chapter 4 that he's about to die at the hands of his uh, guards, And he's saying to Timothy, who's been his companion for the last 15 years, uh, now leading the church in Ephesus, a younger man, uh, rather frail in disposition and rather timid as well. Um, Paul is saying, look, I'm passing on the baton to you. And that's really what this is about, passing on the baton uh, to the next generation. Each generation has this responsibility. Uh, We are the beneficiaries of, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 generations of Christians passing on the baton. And um, Paul is saying to Timothy with this great charge, chapter 1, verse 8, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Paul obviously is anxious to see the church grow and thrive. He wants to see the faithful preaching of the good news continue to the next generation. And he's concerned that the younger generation might well be led astray. He mentions false teaching in chapter 3, which we'll see in a couple of weeks' time, but he also mentions um, their own weakness, their own 
um, propensity to give in to temptation, which is something that we all face. We certainly face false teaching. It's all around us. And also we know ourselves. We know the temptations we face. And so Paul says to <clears throat> the younger Christian leader, Timothy, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. I think there may occasionally be some, somebody who's not tempted to go low pro- profile. Some people have, uh, um, seem to have very thick skins, but I think most of us at times will feel embarrassment about being a Christian when put on the spot. Most of us will t- at times think, oh, I wish you hadn't asked me that question. Um, I met someone the other day who, when they heard I was at St. Michael's, said, ah, St. Michael's, that's that happy, clappy, Bible-believing church, isn't it? And I was thinking, hmm, you could describe us in other ways. But uh, So I, I said to them, I don't know what you think of this as, a, as an answer. I said to them, well, if you think joy in worship is happy, clappy, and if you think conviction in preaching is Bible-bashing, then I suppose that's what we are. But I, th- I thought afterwards, it's a little bit apologetic, isn't it? Um, Temptation is just to sort of say, oh, no, 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 we're very, very normal. Come along on Sunday night and you'll see. Yes. (laughs) So let's say um, tomorrow, for many of us, first day back at work after a bit of a break, and we've made this New Year's resolution. Forget the chocolates, forget the fags and the drink. I'm wanting to live more boldly for Christ this coming year and speak for him. So we tell a new colleague that we are a Christian. And they say to us, do you really believe all that stuff in the Bible? I mean, it's so full of sin and old-fashioned rules and judgment. So where does the conversation go from there? Very tempting just to kind of go a little bit low profile. Or we're talking with our tennis partner and we discover that we have a mutual friend. And the tennis partner says... He's a very nice chap, but he's very hard line, Christian. He's religious, isn't he? Very religious. And we're thinking, you're talking about my friend here who's in my home group. What do I say to that? Tempting just to sort of say, well, yeah, I know him a bit. We're not that close. We're all tempted to be ashamed at times. Um, I take great encouragement. I don't know if you know an Australian evangelist who died recently called John Chapman. Um, he, he, for me, he absolutely epitomized the, the sort of in-your-face Aussie. Perfect for an evangelist. Completely, seemingly unshockable. Seemingly, uh, you know, nothing would put him off. Uh, and he, in his book called Know and Tell the Gospel, which is one of the best books on evangelism, he said this. Uh, he, he talked about how difficult he used to find it to speak about Jesus. He said, I thought there must be something wrong with me, and I sometimes even doubted whether I was a Christian because of this fear. This spark of doubt would flare up into a flame whenever I was challenged with a question such as, how many people have you led to Christ? It was a long time before I discovered that almost all Christians were like I was. All Christians were tempted to be ashamed. Jesus warned us that we would be, And Paul has to encourage Timothy not to be ashamed. So I took, um, slightly perversely, great encouragement from um, John Chapman. I mean, he's an evangelist after all, and he's an Australian, and he's still embarrassed. An embarrassed Australian? They're a rare commodity. 
So Paul here is passing on the baton to Timothy, and here we are, we're a new generation of Timothys. And the baton has been faithfully passed on to us. What are we going to do about it? Well, we're very tempted to give up at times, and yet we have a great message to pass on. Our world is just as needy as Paul's world, and yet our message is the same life-changing message that Paul preached. We'll be tempted to doubt the power of God and to doubt the gospel, and yet we have the same God and the same message, the same God, the same message that can change people's lives today. And yet we'll still be tempted not to pass the baton on. So Paul reminds Timothy of three things to encourage him not to be ashamed, to encourage him to keep faithful to the gospel. And here's the first one. He says, remember the person that you are. And uh, you'll find it helpful, I think, if you have the uh, uh, 2 Timothy open in front of you, page 1195. And he says, remember who you are. Two, two things about this. First, that uh, Timothy is, has been saved by God. And this is from verse, verse 3. He says, I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Paul is convinced that Timothy is a Christian. Timothy clearly has a great Christian family heritage, and what a wonderful blessing that is. I was chatting to someone the other day who said they, they rather regretted they didn't have one of those sort of you know, Nicky Cruz-style conversion stories, you know, that I was a gangster and shooting people, and then I saw the light on the 23rd of February 1962, and I've been a changed person ever since. I w- they wish they could have had a sort of darkness-to-light story. Um, and we had a sort of bit of a discussion about, actually, what a wonderful privilege it is to grow up in a Christian family to have Christian values right from the start, to have Bible stories read to you right from the start, so you have a kind of wealth of Bible knowledge uh, from your earliest childhood. In fact, sometimes when we read some of the Old Testament stories, my mind still pictures the drawings of the children's Bible we had. And when I was a child, I think I see one or two smiles recognizing this. Um, what a privilege it is to have parents who pray for you right from day one. And Paul has had, uh, sorry, Timothy has had this with his mother and grandmother. And Paul has also uh, had Timothy um, trekking around with him for many years, so much so that in verse two, he calls him my dear son. And I think it's uh, very important just to emphasize the, the value of Christian family. And maybe you have grown up in a Christian family. You'll you'll know what I'm talking about. Perhaps you haven't. Um, Maybe you're thinking that one day you might have a family of your own. Um, What a tremendous responsibility, awesome responsibility, but huge privilege to bring up children in the Christian faith. And perhaps you're a godparent or an uncle or aunt or, or something. 
um, you have a really key role to play here. So often you find when someone comes to faith that behind their, behind the, the person's personal journey as a praying aunt or a praying godfather or something like that. And the, as well as Christian family, the importance of Christian friendship as well. In John Stott's commentary on this, this book, To Timothy, writing on this passage, he talks about Christian friendship. I'll just read you a paragraph that, where he talks about his own experience. He says, I thank God for the man who led me to Christ and for the extraordinary devotion with which he nurtured me in the early years of my Christian life. Listen to this. He wrote to me every week for, I think, seven years. He also prayed for me every day. I believe he still does. I can only begin to guess what I owe under God to such a faithful friend and pastor. And I guess probably most of us will have had some older Christian take us under their wing. And I'm so grateful for somebody who gathered me up in my first week at university when this slightly wayward boy was threatening to go off the rails. And he just said, how about reading the Bible once a week together? And it absolutely set me on the right track for the next three years. So grateful to God for him. Perhaps someone's done that for you. Who could you take under your wing? in 2015 so the importance of family and friendship and of course they're crucial but actually the key thing is that timothy has his own personal faith in jesus look at the second half of chapter uh, of verse five where he says, paul says i am persuaded this faith now lives in you also See, it's not enough just to have Christian family and friends, to be part of a kind of Christian subculture, to be a happy member of the youth group or of a church. Uh, each of us must have our own relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul clearly sees that Timothy has his own living faith. So Timothy has been saved by God, but as well as that, Timothy has also been equipped by God This is verses 6 and 7. God has given Timothy a gift in verse 6, most likely the gift of leadership, perhaps preaching, probably leadership, which is why Paul's writing this letter. Confirmed, this gift has been confirmed by Paul laying his hands on Timothy. So here's Timothy, equipped and gifted, and Timothy himself needs to fan the gift into flame, verse 6. In other words, he must use it. It's not enough having the gift, not enough having people pray for you. He's basically saying, get up and go, Tim. I wonder how much more effective we'd be as a church if everyone used the gifts that God had given them. Verse 7 reminds us that God doesn't give gifts like timidity, or shame. Instead, his Holy Spirit gives us everything that we need to serve him. And as Lucy highlighted those three points in the prayers, the Holy Spirit gives us power to endure. He gives us love to serve and self-discipline to get up and get on with the job. 
So I guess um, many of us, perhaps most of us, are involved in some sort of teaching or leadership somewhere along the line in the church. Maybe you lead your home group every now and again, or maybe you're a home group leader. Perhaps you teach in the children's church, or perhaps you help on a summer camp or something like that. Uh, And when the time comes, if you're anything like me, you're feeling just slightly overawed by the task involved how did I let myself get talked into doing this, I say to myself? Well, verse 7 reminds us that the Holy Spirit gives us power to do the job. So as we face up to it, let's pray for his power as we lead or teach or whatever it is we do. Verse 7 also reminds us that the Holy Spirit gives us love for the naughty children in our group who mess around every week, so much so that we dread taking that group. Just don't feel like doing it. They're so annoying. (laughs) If we find it difficult, pray for love. And if we really love the people we're seeking to serve, then that makes all the difference. The Holy Spirit gives us love. And the third thing the Holy Spirit gives us is self-discipline. Discipline, perhaps, to get out of bed early, to get ahead with our preparation, to plan properly. Discipline to read the Bible instead of the newspaper or whatever it is. So Paul says to Timothy, remember who you are. You're saved by God and you're equipped by God. So don't be ashamed. He's sort of set you up. You've got everything you need to get on with the job. Don't be ashamed. Paul's second encouragement to Timothy not to be ashamed is remember the task you have. Verse 8 tells us that the task is to testify about our Lord. And this command is repeated many times in 2 Timothy. Just look with me. Chapter 1, verse 13. What you have heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Chapter 1, verse 14, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Chapter 2, verse 2, what you have heard me say, entrust to reliable witnesses. Chapter 2, verse 14, keep reminding them of these things. Chapter 2, verse 15, correctly handling the word of truth. Chapter 4, verse 2, in case Timothy has kind of missed the point and all up till now, He says, preach the word in season and out of season. And as someone has said, the rest of your time, the rest of your time is your own. Preach the word. Our task is to testify about our Lord. And the fact that Paul keeps urging Timothy to preach the word again and again suggests that Timothy may well be ashamed Ashamed either of the Lord Jesus or of Paul himself. It doesn't look good, does it? If you see uh, in verse 8, he says, uh, Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. So here's Timothy. He's preaching about a crucified Messiah. That seems strange, doesn't it? And there's Timothy, his role model, his mentor, the the leader, the founder of many of the churches. He's in prison. He's about to be beheaded. He's a figure of disgrace. We, too, can so easily feel 
ashamed and embarrassed about the message and indeed about the messenger. But Paul says, don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Verses 9 and 10, because the Christian gospel is such great news. And verses 9 and 10 give us a quick reminder why it's such great news. I love it when Paul does this. He sort of slightly goes off, um, not off message exactly, but he just, he can't help himself. He gets carried away by the good news. And why, when it's such good news, we shouldn't be ashamed of it. Verse 9, the gospel, he says, is all about God saving us. God who has saved us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He saved us from sin for a new life with him. That's wonderful good news. Verse 9 again, the gospel is all about being called to a holy life. It's a new life, a radically changed life, putting our sinful past behind us and living the way God intended us to be. Holy means to be set apart for God. How wonderful. Verse 9 again, the gospel is all about grace. He says, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. We are powerless to please God on our own. But his undeserved free salvation is his gift to us. Isn't that wonderful? And verse 9, the gospel is God's grand eternal plan. He says, this grace was given to us before the beginning of time. God chose us before we ever appeared on the scene. Isn't that wonderful? And then verse 10, the gospel is all about Jesus and his death and resurrection. The end of verse 10, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel is fantastic news. It's such great news. We really shouldn't be ashamed of it. I was just thinking, just over 30 years ago, Lucy agreed to marry me. And I was so happy that this wonderful girl had said she would be my wife that I was not ashamed. And I told anyone who could be bothered to listen, and a lot of people who couldn't be bothered to listen as well. It was great. And when you have good news, you just want to share it, whether people want to hear it or not. Now, of course, that sometimes can land us in, in trouble. And I, I guess that's one of the reasons why Paul needed to be urged to, verse 8, to, um, to testify about, about the Lord. Because we will be ashamed at times. We will be tempted to go low profile because we know that not everyone loves the good, the good news that we're sharing. Not everyone likes to be told that they're a sinner who needs saving. Of course, it does depend a little bit how we tell them. John Chapman, again, in his book, describes how when he became a Christian, he went home and over breakfast told his father that uh, he'd become a Christian. And he said, Dad, if you don't repent, you're going to go to hell as well. And Dad said, talk to me like that again, and you're out of here. <laughs> does depend a little bit how you tell people. But actually, the gospel is wonderful good news that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what Christmas is all about, reminding ourselves ourselves of his salvation won for us on the cross. But look, some people don't want to hear it. Many people don't want to be told that uh, God calls us to lead a holy life. They're quite happy 
with the lifestyle they've got right now. Thank you very much. Many people don't like the idea of grace. I think sometimes we all struggle with grace. We're given something, we feel I ought to pay something back in return. Many people don't like the idea of a crucified saviour. And Paul suffered for testifying about Jesus. And down the centuries, countless Christians have suffered for testifying about Jesus. And around the world today, Christians are suffering for testifying about Jesus. We may not be in the execution cell like Paul, but it may be costly for us to testify about Jesus. Perhaps just in terms of how people see us, a certain aloofness towards us at work, our reputation. Maybe we're passed over for promotion because we won't indulge in certain business practices. Our friendships go a bit cold. But Paul says to us, as he says to Timothy, remember the task you have, that is to testify about Jesus. So don't be ashamed. And our third and final encouragement to Timothy not to be ashamed is remember the God you serve. This is verses 11 to 14. Let me just read from verse 11. And this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Paul, a preacher of the gospel message, suffered for it, but he says he's not ashamed. And he's not ashamed because he's utterly convinced that God is faithful to his promises. Verse 12 says, I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Paul is absolutely certain that the God he serves is a faithful God who will deliver on his promises. He's delivered on his promises so far, and there are some really great promises yet to come, most especially heaven. And Paul is absolutely convinced that that's where he's going. And indeed, there's a, there's a theme of heaven running through to Timothy, and I think if we lose sight of heaven and we think that the Christian life is just about being a little bit happier and a little bit more content and knowing clear conscience and so on. That'll only get us so far. And when uh, the opposition comes, the suffering comes, that's when we'll want to go low profile and give up. But if we know whom we have believed and we know we can, we're convinced that he, God is able to guard us all the way to heaven, then that's going to keep us going. Not just through 2015, but all the way through our life all the way to heaven. Paul's faith in the God he serves is absolutely rock solid. That God will deliver on his promises. So as we start out on this new year, let's remind ourselves that the God we serve, he's not remote and aloof, but he is, in verse 12, the God who is able, God who is able to guard us all the way to heaven. He is, verse 8, the God who can help us 
to cope with suffering for the gospel because he empowers us. And verse 7, God's Holy Spirit is with us now to give us all the power and the love and the self-discipline that we need to serve him. This little letter of Paul to Timothy, quite possibly his last letter, is really a call to preach the word, to pass the baton on, to stick at it, come what may, to be a courageous Christian. And if we are convinced that the Christian message is true, if we're convinced that God is faithful, then we won't give up. So let's keep proclaiming it and let's not be ashamed. And perhaps we can say to ourselves, as those of us who are here this morning said to little Hepzibah, fight valiantly under the banner of Christ against sin, the world and the devil and continue his faithful soldier and servant to the end of our lives. Do not be ashamed to confess the faith of Christ crucified. It's wonderful good news. It's good news that will see us all the way to heaven. Praise God. Let's pray.